everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. Bonnie and Tim here. We have a special guest today that um, y'all are pretty familiar with. He's from the Holy Post Podcast, which is, uh, I think we have a, a pretty widely shared listener base. Um, we found out he also has the Movie Proposal Podcast. We learn about in the conversation yeah. here in a second. Um, but we're excited. It's an interesting conversation that I don't think has been had on this podcast so far and yeah. it is about um the theology of vocation um mm-hmm. so it's pretty interesting and then when we're finished uh bonnie and i will do a little outro uh, with some thoughts on the conversation that we had there's a lot i mean we talk for uh, however long a normal podcast length amount of time um <laughs> but like it's pretty big ideas here right i mean we're yeah we're not, well, we're not camping on anything too long yeah. yeah so We'll, we'll kind of debrief it a little bit afterwards, as we have been known to do. Um, also, we uh, I've been getting questions about micro-community stuff. Or is that stuff still happening? The answer is absolutely yes. Uh, it's just going to take me a little bit longer um, than I thought to try to organize all that, because there's a lot of you guys that are interested in it. Um, and also, if you're still interested in it, if you're interested in being a part of a micro community in your area or hosting a micro community in your area, please email me at tim at voxpodcast.com and let me know your name and your email address, which I guess would come with your email, both those things. So that might be redundant, but hey, just in case. <laughs> and uh, and then where you are, know. like your town and your state or your country. All right, Bonnie, anything else? No, I think that's it. Um, I just wanted to say really quick, though, a lot of you have gone on lately to um, iTunes and rated us and left some super kind and generous reviews. And we are so grateful. It like helps spread the word about the work that we're doing. And so thank you so much for taking time to do that. We really appreciate your encouragement and um, we appreciate it. We love that. Um, we got a few new patrons over the last month, too. Um, Vox is totally awesome. listener supported. So uh we are on patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. Thank you guys. And without anything else, here we are with Sky Jatani. All right, everybody, we're here with Sky. Bonnie and I sitting here in Texas and in California and in Wheaton, right? Wheaton? Wheaton, yeah. You don't have to even say more than that. It's just Wheaton. Everyone knows where Wheaton is. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. Wheaton, Illinois. I gave our I gave our states and I gave your town near Chicago. So we got Sky here, and I, and we thought since Sky is also a uh, a frequent guest and a and a valued guest and a loved guest on the podcast, that we would do a couple of those questions that we did with Gombas a couple of weeks ago and do a little bit of a get to know you. So Sky, if you would. Can you tell us, um, did you grow up in Wheaton area? Uh, yeah, in fact, I grew up in the town right next to it, Glen Ellen. Um, I probably right now, I'm, I'm sitting in my home office. I'm probably about two miles from the home I grew up in. Oh, wow. And I never, ever anticipated sticking around here. Like, uh, I still can't believe I'm here. Funny? 
Yeah, I, I, I go grocery shopping at the store where I used to bag groceries in high school. It's one of That's those. Crazy. I get my car washed at a car wash I used to work at. It's it's just weird. I was on staff at a church whose parking lot I used to cut through all the time to avoid cops. <laughs> that so, is hilarious. Yeah. Oh, there's a, that seems like a whole like different thing to unpack. That's its though. own, yeah, <laughs> its own entity. <laughs> I work at the church that I used to cut through to avoid the cops. That sounds like a chapter in a book. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it sounds a lot more exciting than it really was. But. Yeah. Well, I'm in the same thing. I moved to L.A. for 17 years, and I just moved back to my hometown where my parents live, my wife's family lives, and I swore I would never do that. Like, it's a big world. Why would I yep. move back and live in the same place twice? And But here I am. There you and go. Well, uh, and I, I grew up, I mean, my father's an immigrant. I have family all over the world. Before I graduated high school, I forget the exact count, but I think I probably been to about 25 or 30 foreign countries before wow. I even graduated high school. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So I just had a really global outlook even as a kid. And so I just assumed, of course, you grow up, you go to school, and then you go somewhere else in the world because that's what everyone in my family did. Yeah. So the fact that I'm right here is really, really weird for me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if I it wasn't make necessarily it to that modeled. Many countries. Yeah. I made it to Nevada. <laughs> I still haven't made uh, it to that many countries. Well, you go to Las Vegas, you can visit Paris and <laughs> yeah. Italy and or Disneyland, New York, yeah. and go. Yeah, well, Egypt. What was what's Mike's big uh, unwinding? Oh, at uh, at Epcot. Is at Epcot, Epcot the one where they have all the countries? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, get, get all the flavor all at once. Bonnie, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Arizona and then moved okay. to Colorado so you're, you're, in high school. Oh, so you're all over the place. You got four, at least four states under your belt. Yeah, well, let's see. Arizona, Colorado, California, or Orange County, Colorado, San Francisco, Orange County, <laughs> Texas. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird diagram. I know it is. I only, and you know what? I only know that because I was thinking of another tattoo the other day and wondering if I could do all the states I had you lived could. in. Wait a minute. You mean all the states where you lived? Yeah. Oh, because I think if you're putting 50 states on a tattoo, that's... <laughs> only the ones I've that's lived. That's a little weird. Yes, that is weird. No, only the ones I've you lived. You can just cram those those four together like a little, your own like makeshift Pangea. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, all right, Sky, what was your favorite movie of 2019? Oh, uh, see, this is a little hard. I don't think you guys know this, but I do a, a movie podcast with a good friend of mine, Josh Lindsay, about twice a month called The Movie Proposal. Oh, really? Oh, twice a month? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, it's a weird podcast because it's called The Movie Proposal because every episode we talk about something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Oh, wow. fun. You know, like a wedding kind of thing. Yeah. So an old movie, a new movie, then a resource we borrow from someone else, and then something that blew our minds or blue chunks that mm. we saw recently. So I've talked about a lot of movies in the last year, and I'm trying to think what was my favorite. Um, it's called The Movie Proposal. Yeah. And Josh was a film student. He now sells insurance. He used to work for Phil Vischer at Big Idea. So he's kind of a, he and I, we've been friends for a long time. We just go out to lunch and talk movies. And then we say, well, let's, let's start, see if anyone's interested in hearing our musings about this. Oh, fun. Um, but, I mean, there were a lot of good movies I saw last year. And there's some really guilty pleasures. I was on a long flight overseas. I forget where I was going. And I watched, and this is up for an Oscar now, but I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And every time I see a Tarantino movie, I really, really don't want to like it <laughs> because because I know it's going to be gory and violent. And, you know, there's something Christian in me that says that's wrong and I shouldn't enjoy this. Um, but that's a that's an incredibly good movie. 
Yeah. Um, cool. Really, I haven't really seen really it. Really fun, weird movie. The other one that comes to mind um, is Just Mercy. That that just came out. Oh, oh I haven't seen yeah. That yet. I haven't seen it either. If you haven't read the book, I mean, the, the movie is fantastic, but the, the book is one of the most heart-stopping books I've ever read. Like, mm. just brilliant. Um, so I'd highly, highly recommend Brian Stevenson, Just Mercy, and... It's just fantastic, so I can't oh, recommend cool. that one enough. That's one with right. uh, Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx, yeah? Right, yeah. yeah. True okay. story. Um, yeah, and, and it's, not to ruin anything, but it's a case of really horrible injustice in the in the criminal justice system with a black man who's accused of killing a white girl and you know just all the craziness that goes on, the racism and the injustice. But you read the book or you watch the movie and you think this has to be like the 1940s or the 1950s or some, you know, this is set in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. This happened when I was in high school. Mm. That's crazy. This is in the 1990s and it's just stunning. Like it's, it's a great story and uh, you got to read the book. I really recommend the book, but the movie's good too. Cool. So in line with what we're going to talk about today with vocation stuff, do you have a lot of time out for in your week just for watching movies? No, <laughs> not usually. That's why you only um, do the twice a month podcast. <laughs> you're right. like, I'm not sitting uh, around watching movies. I mean, we, I, I probably consume as much media as the, as the next person, although um, maybe not because I think I saw recently Americans spend 80 hours a week on screens. I don't think Whoa. I'm that bad. That's insane. Um, How's that possible? Yeah, I know. It's nuts. Uh, and it's doubled since the 1980s. So it's much more than it used to be. And part of it's just because we do more of our work on screens, I'm sure. But um, no, I, I, I watch stuff. I just don't, I don't consume, I don't binge watch a lot of Netflix or anything like that. Yeah. But. You're more intentional with your I am a viewing time. Straight I up. I try to be. Binge watch. I try to be. Yeah. You're and like my wife and I pretty much have a po- policy. We, we won't watch something unless Rotten Tomatoes has given it a relatively decent score because I don't want to yeah. waste my time. Oh. Even, but are you equally interested if it's gotten like a zero or like a zero yes to i am like, i'm like let's see how bad this is yeah yeah that's the the train wreck thing you can't look away that's yeah. the where you it blew chunks or whatever you got to have a couple of those in yeah there to, fill, to fill that yeah spot. sometimes we, we will do that like i mean everyone's talking about how terrible cats is right now <laughs> oh yeah and i mean i had i had no desire to see that i never had any desire to see it when it was a broadway show but there's a little bit of me that wants to watch it just so I can have something to rant about on the podcast. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I saw a meme for that that I thought was pretty funny when the movie came out and it said it showed the Rotten Tomatoes score for cats and then for the movie Dogs, which <laughs> I don't even know what that was, but it had a very high Rotten Tomato rating. And so they were like, I guess uh-huh. the debate is finally over between like cats and dogs. <laughs> Hey, on the on the most recent episode of the Holy Post, Phil Vischer brought out a study that he found that showed uh, among pet owners, Christians are way more likely to own dogs, and atheists are way more likely to own cats. Oh so wow, that's that weird. Means, there's something to it unpack is interesting. there. Yeah, <laughs> and Jew, Jews are more likely to own birds or small mammals. Really? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. That is. <laughs> I don't know if it is, but I think it kind of is something. I mean, there's definitely like rabbit holes to go down with that. That would <laughs> be interesting to unpack. We've got Sky here, and today we are going to talk about the theology of vocation. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure where to start with it, Sky. If you have an idea of how you want to go into this or how you want to approach it, um... Um, sure. Yeah, I can. I can 
kick it off. Part of the reason this topic came came on my radar was I, I live here in Wheaton, as we talked about, the home of famous Wheaton College, right? The evangelical Harvard, as they say. I did not go to Wheaton. So um, it, it always kind of makes me chuckle that Wheaton calls itself the evangelical Harvard because that's kind of a pretty... Was that a self-ascribed um, title? Well, not officially, but a lot of people associated with Wheaton will use it. Um, but because of that, I have gotten to know students over the years, and in the past especially, I did more kind of mentoring of college students. And what what I bumped up to repeatedly with these young people was a deep sense. And just to, like Wheaton tends to attract, very, they're very intelligent young people. They're, they're really uh, kind of type A driven, ambitious in a good way very often. Um, that, that's just kind of the mindset, the culture of the campus in many ways. So these young people would often come to me and, and start freaking out as they were getting closer to graduation about what should they do with their lives. And they, they had a deep sense of wanting to do something that really mattered, that would make a difference, that was significant. So I mean, especially when David Platt's book came out, they were all talking about wanting to do something radical. Um, and what, what I came to notice was they were living in, in a mindset that put everything into two categories. There were the things that God cared about, and then there's the things that he didn't really care about. Um, or the vocations that were significant for the mission of the gospel, and then there's everything else, and it didn't really matter unless you could make a ton of money to give to the people who were doing things for the mission of the gospel. And so I realized that that mindset was doing enormous amount of damage. I think it was, I could even before I really dove into the theology of it, I knew this was unbiblical. But then I started studying, the, like, where did this come from? What's the history of it? How did it get deconstructed during the Protestant Reformation? Why did it come back into into vogue? Um and so that, that for me, it, it kind of put framing on something I was seeing all over the country as I traveled, which is there's a lot of Christians out there who really genuinely feel like second-class citizens mm. because they don't think their vocation matters. Mm. And they also then put the people who they think do matter on a pedestal, missionaries, pastors, you know, and it's seen as a great victory for the kingdom if someone leaves a secular vocation in order to join a ministry like if you were an accountant and you worked for a bank well too bad but if you left the bank and you became an accountant for a parachurch organization or a mega church or something well now you know you're counting beans for the kingdom of god and now it matters and yeah. so like this is stuff i was just encountering all over the place and i think a lot of people live that way they think that the the degree to which they can truly experience the christian life is contingent upon their vocational circumstances hmm. yeah so you know, if you're a nurse, it's important work, and the people you're caring for are probably hopefully grateful for the work you're doing. But if you really want to experience the fullness of the Christian life, you should you should maybe think about going overseas and using your medical skills mm. in a mission setting or right. in a orphanage or something. Like, and and so what I was hearing from these young people, especially, is what circumstances do I need to put myself in as I go into adulthood to really experience Jesus, to really be a Christian, to really experience the fullness of the Christian life? And I just find that is killing people, mm -hmm. and it's killing the church, and it's bringing a lot of bad, not bad people, but a lot of bad motivations into ministry settings. So right. I think recovering a theology of vocation is critical to, to healing a lot of this crap that's going on, both with church leaders, clergy, missionaries, and then the lay people who feel like 
it, the fullness of the Christian life isn't really available to them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. I would say I would, I totally agree with that. I grew up in the evangelical church and there was a big a push like that. And so like, it was like, whatever it is that you are quote passionate about, or you feel called to, how can you steer that? So it's specifically in a Christian setting. Um, but then I also felt like I saw uh, like the pendulum swing a bit as I got, as I got older and it was almost the opposite. Like, um, no, it's actually more devout and like more holy if you're you if you're like a secret missionary in this secular setting, if that makes sense. And so mm-hmm. I'm interested in what you feel because that seems to be either one of those. I feel like like where's the middle road there, and what what is it that you feel is a good book uh, theology of vocation that somebody can have sort of a sense of both of those things, right? Like if if everything yeah. is spiritual and um we are called to be co-creators in everything we do and to make Jesus beautiful in everything. There's parts of each of those stories, but we don't, it doesn't have to be so black and white. Yeah. It's interesting the way you framed it from your experience growing up in the church. And it's very similar to what I think a lot of us heard was, Hey, it's, you know, it's fine to go into business or the arts or medicine, whatever your field may be. As long as when you go there, you behave like a missionary. Yes, 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 yes. And that's, I don't object to that. I think it's great. You should certainly, you know, share your faith. But the idea was business itself doesn't count. Medicine itself doesn't count. Right. The arts don't count. It's only when you behave like a minister in that setting. That it counts that for it counts. something. Right. Right. So that's, that's where you get the idea of, well, you know, my work doesn't really matter, but I started a Bible study during the lunch break. Right. So <laughs> yes. now, it, now it matters. Now, now right? it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I and that's what I kind of want to deconstruct and I and here's the I- irony for me. Like one of the greatest um contributions of the Protestant Reformation was a theology of vocation. It's all over Luther's writings and Calvin's writings and numerous other reformers and yet the heirs of those traditions in a lot of American evangelicalism have more or less rejected that theology and they've resorted back to a medieval Roman Catholic theology of a strict divide between the sacred and secular. And I find that really interesting. Um, and we could even talk into some of the history of how we got to that. But what what helped me really uh, articulate a, a more nuanced theology of vocation is when I stumbled upon some writings from the Puritans. Mm. And, you know, the Puritans were largely Calvinist in their theology, um, I'm not endorsing everything they taught or believed. Certainly some who came to the new world had problems with teenage girls and burned a few too many of them. But uh, I think their theology of vocation is actually super helpful. So, mm-hmm. And what they do is offer a nuanced theology that doesn't just say, well, here are the good things, here are the bad things, or um, all vocations are equally valid. And it, like they, it, The nuance is so important. So we can dive into that if you want to. Yeah, yeah that sounds I mean, great. Go for it. I'd love to hear that. Okay, let me. I'll try to articulate it as, as succinctly as possible. Uh, and depending on who you read, different Puritan writers and different ways of breaking it down. But for my purposes, I, I split it into the Puritans argued that every Christian had three simultaneous vocations. And the word vocation just means calling. It comes from the Latin vocare, to call. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is they said that every Christian has a highest calling. And it's the same for everyone. And our highest calling is to uh, to live in union with God. Mm-hmm. 
And in that highest calling is where we find our identity, our value, our significance, and the fact that we're a child of God who's been redeemed by Him and is wholly loved by Him. That's who we are. That's the highest calling. Under that, they then articulated how every Christian has a set of common callings. And they define common callings as those callings which apply to all Christians in all places at all times. So the easiest way to define this is these are the commands of the Bible Mm. that apply to all of us. So, you know, do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Love your neighbor. You know, all those commands. We might argue about which ones still apply or which ones don't. But for the most part, those common callings are pretty easy to find, right? You open up the pages of the Bible. There they are. And you can't just opt out of them because you're like, well, I'm a 21st century Christian, so that doesn't apply to me. Or you can't say I'm a I'm a politician, therefore the command to not lie doesn't apply to me. Right. It, it's, right. It's all all Christians, all places, all times. And then they say under that we have every Christian has a set of specific callings, or sometimes they use the language of particular callings. Mm. These are callings which are unique to the individual, and they're very clear that we ought to be obedient to our specific callings. Um, because they also are valid, they come from God. Mm. So specific callings may be your job. It might be what pays the bills, right? You're a nurse, doctor, teacher, gardener, artist, whatever. That's a specific calling. But there's also specific callings, and I always joke about this when I teach this, like I have the specific calling to be the wife or the husband of my wife, and if someone else has that calling... You know, then we have a problem. Right, right, right. That's my <laughs> We're specific in conflict. Or uh, another way of thinking about it is with <clears throat> children. I have the specific calling to be the father of my three children. Now, I'm incredibly grateful for the help that I receive in parenting those three kids from my community, from my church, from grandparents, from all these others. But in a really unique way, I'm accountable to God for the care of those three children in a way that someone else in my church is not. Right, right. right? That's my specific calling. Um, but here's where we get into trouble. Number one, you you don't know your specific callings by opening up the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? N- nowhere in there does it say, like, Bonnie, Do this. I want you to be a podcaster. Right, 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 right. Or Bonnie, I want you to be a preacher. Like, that's not there. Right. Just like, it doesn't say, Sky, you should marry Amanda. You can't find it there. So how do you find your, your specific callings? Mm-hmm. That is a big gripe in the church, isn't it? If God would just email me. Right. Tell me exactly I, what to do. Exactly what to yeah. do. Yeah. So, and but you see it even in the pages of Scripture where, like, Paul receives a specific calling, or Paul and Barnabas, the church at Antioch. The Spirit spoke to the church at Antioch, it's Acts 13, right? And said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. Um, it's through the Holy Spirit. And I think part of the reason we've lost the theology of vocation is because we have lost the practical theology of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Hmm. And when you remove the Holy Spirit as a, as a practical reality in the life of the church and in the life of believers, what fills the vacuum of the Holy Spirit is two things. Number one, it's scripture, is we, we just go to our common callings, which are good and valid, but we make them universal, meaning um, like we have a common calling to be a witness of Jesus Christ, but we take that common calling and we impose it on everyone as a specific calling. Right. Like, it's it's not okay that you're in business. You need to be an evangelist in your business. Then it matters because mm-hmm. that's a common calling. So one way the vacuum gets filled is with the Bible. But the other way the vacuum gets filled, frankly, is with church leaders. And I, I don't mean this as an overstatement. I think I think 
there's plenty of evidence to support this, virtually every problem you see in the contemporary church is the result of pastors taking upon themselves responsibilities which only belong to the Holy Spirit. Mm. And nowhere in the New Testament is the responsibility to give people their specific callings given to church leaders. It is always the prerogative of the Holy Spirit to tell people what their specific callings are. But we tend to step into the pulpit as pastors and say, here's my calling, and you should all do this too. Mm. And you should do what I do. Even if you're in business, you need to behave like a pastor on your lunch break. Or even if you're an accountant over here, you need to think about leaving that and becoming an accountant over here because there it will matter for the kingdom of God. And I think that does incalculable damage. And it's the result of losing that theology of the Holy Spirit that can validate the callings that people have. Another way of putting this, and this is something I talk about a lot with college students, what makes a, a work valuable is not the work itself. It's the one who's called you to it. Okay. So, you know, being a janitor, you might think, well, this doesn't matter. But I mean, think about this. If you had an epiphany, like a, a, a vision, and Jesus Christ came and spoke to you and said, I want you to clean floors in a public school, what would you do? Clean floors right? in a public You would school. clean those floors, right? This is the <laughs> Lord of the universe saying clean floors in a public school. What makes that work important is not inherent to cleaning floors. It's the one who's told you to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've lost sight of that. And we start to judge ourselves and others based on some imagined hierarchy of importance of different callings. And we don't recognize that someone should be honored and validated in their calling because of the one who has called them to it. Mm. So anyway, I'm on a soapbox, and I could go on and on about this, but let me shut up for a minute. <laughs> well, no, I have a question. Guys, like, no, yeah. Interject with your question. No, I love that. So I do have a question, though. I've always looked at um, the way we view calling as very um, – it's, 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 it's a privileged word like as americans we're all we've just we've grown up in this idea of a very individualized nation and a this very western world and this and especially in america this big thing of like an american dream right like i'm called to do this and i i have to be successful and i have to and so it's sort of kind of gotten wrapped up into this like um other system of things um, but I often think about that when it when I think of okay if I can zoom out if I can drone shot this and I see a global perspective, it feels like a very privileged stance to say I am called to do this specific work. So the the first two right. levels of calling that you talked about to me that seems very global. Like yes, any of yep. us can do those things. But for the third one where I have trouble or where the word even calling rubs me the wrong way, and part of it is because you just hear it all the time, right? Like, yep. oh, I was called to do this and I was called to do that and I, I just knew I was called and blah, blah, blah. Is that just seems so privileged. Like what about, um, you know, the widow in Africa who has to take care of her children and who has no clean water and things like, like her calling, there's not, her calling there is simply at, at sometimes like survival, right? So sometimes right. I feel um, just like a rub of like, I'm not even sure I can say that or can I say it, but with this acknowledgement that that's a privileged thing to be able to say so. Yes. This is a huge point. I'm so glad you're bringing this up, Bonnie. And this is, an, I agree with you. Like one of the things that really annoyed me whenever I would come into an environment where people are talking about vocation, calling right. from a Christian point of view like theology doesn't work in my view 
if it can't apply to the majority of Christians who've lived throughout history. Mm-hmm. And the way we talk about vocation and calling in our context often, as you put it, privileges a modern, affluent American right. Christian where there's, we have enormous vocational choice. Right. And a lot of the students I, again, would mentor, they were freaking out. And I'm like, you realize you're freaking out over something that you should be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Like you, the fact that you even have a choice is an, an immense privilege. If you think of most people throughout the world, both throughout history and today, like if you were a man and your father was a farmer, guess what? You're a farmer. Right. Right? You don't have a choice. And if you're a woman in most parts of the world, both today and throughout history, you didn't have vocational choice at all. You were married off to somebody and that was that. Right. So how, do, how does a theology, a biblical theology of vocation apply to people like that? Mm-hmm. And it does. And this is what excites me about what the Puritans saw. And a lot of this is rooted in 1 Corinthians 7, which we could unpack later if you want. But the idea is mm-hmm. um, most, of our, most of our callings are not a choice. Mm-hmm. They are things we just simply find ourselves in that we maybe never would have chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here's a story that kind of illustrates that. Years ago, I was mentoring a, a grad student, and he wanted to get together with me. He was kind of freaking out. We met at a coffee shop, and he said, "Listen, I got to ask you a question. And I, whatever you say, Sky, I promise I won't tell anybody." I'm like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> Turns out he it's a great <laughs> preface. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Turns out he'd been dating a young woman for a while. They were getting serious. He'd bought the ring. He was thinking about getting engaged, but he was getting cold feet. And so his question to me was, uh, do you ever regret the decision to marry your wife? Right? It's just a great question. And he was so freaking out about oh, this. Oh, sweet. That I, yeah. couldn't, I, could, I couldn't not play with him a little bit. So I said to him, uh, I didn't make the decision to marry my wife. <laughs> and he looked at me kind of confused. Like, I mean, he knew I was half Indian. He's like, was well, it an arranged marriage? What was the deal? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I didn't make the decision to marry Amanda. I said, the 23-year-old Sky made the decision to marry Amanda, and I now live with the consequences of his decision every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and most days I'm thrilled with those consequences, but if anybody who's been married any length of time is honest, will say there are some days where it's hard. Yeah. yeah. But now, and this comes from a writer named Jacques Philippe, now real freedom comes when you learn to choose what you did not choose. Mm, mm-hmm. And for me, that's a theology of vocation. Mm. Like, yeah, I chose to marry Amanda, but you have no control over the future. You don't know what's coming at you. I mean, if you have children, even if you adopted them, you didn't really choose those children because they come prepackaged with their own personalities and issues and whatever it is. And now you're called to parent them. Right. So a lot of our callings, whether we just narrow it to professional, vocational kind of calling or all of our circumstances, most of what we deal with in life are things we don't choose. Mm-hmm. And yet... We are called as Christians to accept those things as as the place where we are going to meet and encounter mm, God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think a, a good theology of calling or vocation applies equally to that widow in Africa mm-hmm. who's living in poverty as it does to the CEO right. who's deciding whether or not to stay at that corporation or go to the other one. Right, right, right. Um, and the problem we get into, and again, this was true with many of the students, is we get so bent out of shape about our specific yes. calling. Yes, yeah. Right? Because, and this is the reason, we've made it into an idol. Mm-hmm. We believe that the decision to go into <clears throat> ministry or into business is really about my value and significance. Mm-hmm. And so we freak out about, am I making the right decision? 
And what I have found is if you don't have your highest calling really functioning, really firing on all cylinders, that highest calling to live in communion with God, to get your value and significance in your communion with him, then everything else falls apart. But once you have that functioning and you realize my identity, my significance, my value is all in him, then you can tolerate an awful lot of change in specific callings without losing your mind. Mm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have those brackets, you, the, the first calling being to community with God, the second one being kind of universal callings, like mer- right, your the, common Christian, common callings, Christian is, callings, and the third right. being maybe what the Spirit has tugged you towards. Or I think some things that are interesting is like, like when you're in high school, I was thinking of the other day, so I, grew, I was in high school in the early to mid-90s. And, uh, and my rec, my, in that time period, at least I can't say, I can't speak to it now, but people were for the most part kind of divided up into groups based on musical interests, right? You had like the metal oh, kids, yeah. yeah. you had like the, the <laughs> skater punks, you had kind of the grunge kids for that time period, alternative kids, mm-hmm. you had like band kids, like classical yeah. band yep. kids. You had hip hop kids and then you just kind of had top 10 pop kids, right? Yeah. Everyone kind of fell into these categories. Some of the categories would mix like the, I think you missed the country grunge kids. Not, not up here. (laughs) We didn't have a lot of those. I guess, you know, that's not true. I guess we had some FFA. There's always a few. Yes. Yeah. So that is true. Sorry, country guys. I'm a country guy now too. So that that's, (laughs) so we like, we kind of were identified by our subgroups that we were in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now too, like we're, especially in America and again, I can only speak to that, but we seem to be very much defined by our, our jobs, like what Mm -hmm. we do day Mm -hmm. in and day out, which I think is interesting. Um, and so I think I'm just trying to kind of put things in order as we're talking through them. Cause I, I'm going to ask a question at the end of this, but the, we're, we're kind of talking about being called more to someone rather than to some job or something mm-hmm. right is that mm-hmm. right does that sound correct yeah. so far with where we're at absolutely in america and i and i and bonnie i'm gonna i realize that this is a very privileged question um, <laughs> so i'm gonna check i'm checking my privilege at the beginning um so the difference between because this is a question that i hear often in these conversations and especially amongst artists so i've had this conversation for the last 20 something years when talking about what to do with my life and mm-hmm. being an artistic person. So for me, it's like, I wanted to be a musician, right? right? I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to do that. That was what fueled my passion and everything in me the most. So, and then I just so happened to marry into the family of my favorite band of all time. Oh, right? what? So my wife, yeah, my wife is Eddie Vedder's cousin in Pearl Jam, right? So Shut up. Very... I did not know this. You are burying the yeah. lead. It's a really, of it's an awkward these... thing to talk about. Well, now I feel so embarrassed of how I'm like clueless about your family. Yeah. <laughs> here, here you are sharing your, your deep secret that you love mayonnaise yeah. and, and you, you don't, don't even, even know, know that he's you're related. related to Eddie Vedder. Does Erie know I mean, that? Oh yeah, of course he does. Yeah, I was going to so say because it's a, there's the, I've told the funny story on this podcast about how the one of the tattoos I got in college was when Sean and I broke up. I got a, I was on a traveling worship team and we all got we were gonna all get tattoos together and I was like, well, I know a tattoo of a guy who's got his arms raised and it was this Pearl Jam stick man thing. So I got that tattoo thinking, Sean and I are never getting back together. 
So who cares? Uh, so this is safe, yeah. It's like her and then uncle's we got back together. on my body. <laughs> and so now if I go to family functions, I wear pants so that no one can see that That is the best. Now I'm announcing it to everybody. But anyway, so for me, I was like, I had, I had a very strong desire to do music. And then I married into this family where the first time I go see Pearl Jam is backstage at the concert. And I'm like... The, I mean, what are the odds? Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is God telling me right. that. Oh, interesting. I am definitely like I'm on the right track. This is gonna happen. Um, spoiler alert: I'm a professor at a college now. I'm not a touring musician, and and one being not the one that I necessarily chose to do. The other being the thing that I felt a desire and a want to do. So that desire versus calling thing was a very confusing entanglement for me. So that's yep. the kind of the question I'm going towards is like, is that something that can be untangled? Because I hear that a lot. Like, I this is what I really want to do. I don't know what mm -hmm. I'm called to do. And I don't know how to decipher the difference. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. You're right. It's a struggle that a lot of people have. I And there's a couple different ways to address that. Number one, when you look at calling or callings in the Bible, there's kind of a, a theme that runs through it of people not liking the callings they've received, yeah. right? Moses did not initially go, whoopee, I get to go back to Egypt and confront Pharaoh, right? That was not what he wanted to do. <laughs> Jonah, obviously, famously did not like his he calling. Just, he right. ran in the opposite yeah. direction. He did what most um, of us do. <laughs> uh, there's this one of my favorite stories at the end of John's gospel after the resurrection um, Jesus is cooking breakfast for his disciples on the beach. If you remember, he has this incredible exchange with Peter, giving him his calling, right? Feed my sheep, care for my sheep. And you, do you love me? You know, I love you. And it's, it's all Jesus restoring to Peter three times his calling after he had denied Jesus three times. But in that story, uh, it's alluded to the fact that Peter will eventually be martyred. Mm. Mm. And he, he picks up on this. He realizes that Jesus is saying, Hey, you're going to end up going the way I did basically. And, and Peter is not happy about this calling. And he looks down the beach and he sees John down the way a little bit and says, what about him? Like, what's his calling? And what's kind of implied in the language is some desire to influence John's calling. And, and Jesus slaps him down and says, none of your business. Mm. Right. In other words, you, you feed my sheep, you care for my sheep, but you don't call my sheep. Mm. I, and he says, if I want him to reign, remain till the end of time, that's for me to decide I'm his Lord, not you. So, there's this frequent theme in scripture of desire not conforming to calling. And going back to what I shared earlier, very, very often in our lives, the things we are called to are things we never would have chosen. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is part of the reason why I, this is going to be an overstatement. I, I don't understand how non-Christians get married. I really don't mm. because he, I mean, even in, secular marriages, there's a sense of you're making a vow to somebody for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. How, why would you do that when you have no control over the future? <laughs> right? None. I remember like my parents' marriage had its issues. They ended up getting divorced when I was an adult. But when I was getting close to, I, the day I really committed to my wife was not our wedding day. It was the day the invitations went out because I knew there was no going back at that point. Like I was, I was you know, committed. But I remember having this sense, this echo in my head of my dad telling me from when I was a boy, your mom's not the same person I married. Hmm. And he didn't mean that in a good way. Yeah. And, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm in love with her now, but I don't know in 10 or 20 or 30 years that she's going to be the same person. And why would I make this lifelong commitment? 
And that's where you step in and go, okay, number one, a Christian marriage is not a lifelong commitment just to another person. It's a commitment to Christ. And secondly, it's an act of faith that he will give you the grace to fulfill the commitment you're making, whatever the future may hold. That's what gives me the faith to step into a Christian marriage, because although I chose my wife, I don't know what the future holds, and it may hold something that I never would have chosen. Mm. But by his grace, he will give me the strength I need to fulfill this calling. So there, even in marriages, desire and calling often depart. Um, so we, we have to get this, I mean, it's not wrong to pursue one's desire, but if it's not fulfilled, it's not a failure of calling. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are two totally different things. Um, and that's why, going back to my earlier point, it's so, so important that we have our highest calling squared away. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 7. In the middle of that chapter, the whole chapter is basically Paul answering questions that Christians have about what circumstances of life are best for following Jesus. Is it better to be single or is it better to be married? Uh, can you be a slave and follow Jesus, or do you have to be free? And he gets in this whole thing of, you know, do you have to be circumcised, or can you be uncircumcised? And Paul addresses all of that in specificity throughout the chapter. But in the middle, he kind of takes a step back, Bonnie, to use your your drone analogy, mm-hmm. like this higher altitude perspective. And Paul gives his, like, overarching theology. And his argument in the middle of the chapter is basically, don't change your circumstances. If you're a slave, it's fine. If you're free, it's fine. If you're married, it's fine. If you're single, it's fine. If you're circumcised, it's fine. If you're not, it's fine. Don't change your circumstances. But he says, remain where you are with God. And what he was doing there is is confronting the Corinthian assumption that in order to really experience the Christian life, you have to change your circumstances. Mm. And Paul's saying, no, the fullness of the Christian life is communion with Christ and he is fully available to you wherever you are right mm. now. You don't have to change your circumstances. But Paul gets practical. He's like, hey, if you're a slave and you have an opportunity to be free, take it because it's just you know better for you. But it doesn't change your ability to commune with Christ. Mm. And similarly, we have to get away from this idea that my life will be more meaningful, significant, or fulfilled if I can just change my circumstances. Or I can change my job, or I can change my vocation. Or I can find that one calling I have and do it. Yes. Yeah. But the only way to get to that point of view is to really make your highest calling your highest calling. That the true desire of your life is communion with Christ. Because if it is, then all that other stuff gets put in its proper place. Here's another thing to keep in mind. Every single one of our specific callings, I don't care what it is, every single one of them at some point will end. And so if you've built your value, your life, your significance, or even your faith on a specific calling, you're building it on sand, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, and that's what I see a lot of Christians doing, including a lot of Christians in ministry. They've made ministry their identity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it's just a really dangerous thing. So no, I mean, I there's think... a ton of people out there who feel unfulfilled in their callings because it's not really aligned with their desire. And if you have an opportunity to pursue your desire, by all means, take it. But don't think it changes your value or significance, and don't think it's going to help you commune more deeply with God. Yeah, for sure. It's a very confusing um, tightrope walk, right? Because it's you have that order of that order of uh, callings, like we've discussed, from community with God down to vocation. But the order of like, I mean, it's vocation that pays the bills, 
backwards, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so it's this really weird, yeah. like high wire tightrope act of like, yeah, this is, this is where I need to be putting most of my value or finding most of my value, I guess, or most of my identity is in the one and the two in that order. But this is the one that I do that I have to go punch in nine to five and make sure that I pay the bills and that I put food on the table and that I do these things. And, and the, hopefully you're finding some amount of joy in it, right? Just so that you're not miserable throughout your day. And, sure. um, and I, and I, again, realize this is a very <clears throat> American, um, kind of mindset and focus and maybe it's broadening out a little bit nowadays, but this idea of even like we talked about earlier, just choice in vocation. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it's fascinating. This is, this is where coming together as a as a community of faith, as a church, is meant to be an oasis from that. And and James talks about this in his epistle, like giving preference to the rich or the wealthy and diminishing the value of the poor in the church, and how this is just horrible. When you come into the faith community, into the church, it's supposed to be the place where your value is not determined by the categories or callings of the world. Mm -hmm. And where somebody can step in, and out in the world, they may be a slave, they may be a nobody, but in this community, they're a giant mm -hmm. because of their faith, because of their maturity, because of their godliness. And this is why when Paul talks about selecting leaders, it's it's primary, it's about character, right? And and the depth of their faith that's been proven over time. It's not, yeah, they should be well regarded by outsiders. You don't want you know a nefarious, terrible person, but it isn't like, hey, find the richest people. And make them leaders or right. find the business leaders because they have high esteem out in the culture and put them on the elder board, right? It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be a community that looks at people from a completely different point of view or, you know, as we read in the Old Testament when the Lord called David, you know, people look at external appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hmm. The church is supposed to be the community that looks at the heart. Mm -hmm. And very often we we fail at that where, I mean, how many churches or ministries we know where the people who occupy leadership roles, even volunteer leadership roles, are the same people who are running everything out in the world too, because it's about their great managers or their successful business people or whatever. And they may or may not have the maturity of faith or that highest calling really functioning well, but man, they help us run the church well and they give a lot of money. So that's where the church has failed to really validate. And the flip side of it is, what does it mean for if you're a pastor or a church leader to look out at the sheep, the people that you're caring for, and seeing all the different callings they're engaging in out in the world, and to truly believe that what they're doing out in the world Monday through Saturday is just as important as what you're doing on Sunday. Yeah. And to say to them, I want you to go into that school or into that studio or into that hospital and to recognize that you are there because of Christ's calling, and I want you to do that as unto the Lord, as Paul tells us. Like we don't have that mindset in many churches. It's hey, when you're in this building and you're engaged in one of our ministries, that's what matters, and that's what we're going to validate and celebrate. And we rarely exalt or celebrate people for what they've done in obedience to Christ out in the world because it's just it's just not on our radar in much of the American church anymore. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think that's kind of it. Feels like it goes a little bit hand in hand with the last time that you were on here, um, right? The last time you were here, you talked about uh, you and Mike had a conversation about the pastor-centered church model right. and kind of moving away from exactly. that. And so it kind of seems like this communal, that what you're talking about right now kind of is a step, like one step beyond that. Yeah. Like that. And, the, and the crazy part, like I said, is this is so huge in the Protestant tradition. Yeah. 
And and ironically, today I would argue Roman Catholics probably do a better job of validating vocations than the traditions that are actually the heirs of the Protestant Reformation. Hmm. We have reestablished a sacred secular divide and the exaltation of clergy through celebrity pastors that used to be true of the medieval Roman Catholic Church. And it's just, it's ironic beyond measure, in my view, that that's where we've landed today. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up, is there like a, is there like an encouragement or I, 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 like if someone's sitting driving in their car right now and they've struggled with this idea, just kind of not feeling like either A, they have ever felt called by God or B, that they have ignored or missed their calling or anything like that. Is there like an encouragement and, you know, Bonnie, please speak into this also. Yeah. Um, with like discernment or, or, or. I don't know, finding peace or, or something. Is there an encouragement that we can kind of give as we come out of this conversation, I guess? Yeah, the first thing is I don't think it's possible to miss your calling. Okay. Because wherever you find yourself, that's where you're currently called. Like if there's, when Jesus talks about not worrying about tomorrow in, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a sense that God will give you what you need for today. And when someone comes to you and says, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, my question is, do you know what you're supposed to do today? Do you know what God's calling is for you today? And I've never met anybody who says they don't know that. Mm -hmm. They do know that. They know what they're supposed to do toward their neighbor and what they're supposed to, you know, the kindness and goodness and gentleness and forgiveness and all the things they're called. They know what they're supposed to do today. So no one misses their calling. If you know what you're going to do today, you have your calling. And secondly, your primary calling is to God himself. So stop freaking out about the circumstances you find yourself in and placing your value in your circumstances and recognize that the fullness of the Christian life is available to everyone everywhere right now. And until you recognize that, until you really believe that's true, you're going to continue to miss out on what's right in front of you. And those voices that are saying you need to fundamentally change your life to really experience Jesus— they're n- they don't have the interests of the gospel at heart. They're, they're missing what Paul taught over and over and over again. So uh, I would say comfort knowing that God is there right with you. Your highest calling is immediately accessible to you right where you are. You don't have to change a thing. Now, if you're called to change a thing, if he opens up, a, by all means, take it. Like he said, if, you, if you're a slave and you have a chance to be free, go for it. But don't think it changes your status. Don't think it changes your ability to commune with him at all. It doesn't. Awesome. Thank you, Sky, so much for joining us and like just your wisdom. And also, I love that you I love that you can talk about something like this that is can sometimes be such a privileged thing. But you have you really do have this global perspective because of all your travels and um, your family of origin. So I just I love the perspective you bring. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I love talking to you guys and and the podcast overall. I'm thrilled that I got a chance to to be on again. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Great. Well, Well, Oh, I was going to ask Sky Bonnie. to do the blessing. Do you want to just want Sky to do it or do you want to do it? I back out every time. <laughs> <laughs> Sky, if you have a blessing, do you have one that you'd like to leave everybody with? You know, the one that comes to mind is from the end of Psalm 90 where Moses says, uh, Lord, establish the work of our hands. And I just would want that to be a blessing upon whatever the work God has called you to do. May he establish it. Yeah. May it endure. May it matter, not because of the work itself, but because he's the one who's called you to it. So go about your day and think about your work as being established by God. Awesome. awesome. Perfect. All right. Thank you, guys. Love you all. Okay. See you next week. See you guys.
Hey guys, so Tim and I are here to kind of um, just discuss further thoughts. So that was super interesting to me. First, I've never talked to Sky, so that was really fun. I've just heard him, so that was fun to be able to. That's true. I don't with think him. I have either. Oh really? I haven't seen. I don't think so. I think that I've only edited previous conversations, so oh, that was awesome. the first time having like a face to well, face to face via via, via Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. So that was fun. And I, um, I also liked that three, like almost tiered system. It takes, it takes so much pressure off, um, like finding yes. a specific yeah. calling because it's, um, it's not so much about like, you have to do this or your life, like your life is ruined. I don't know. I grew up in such a, I guess a shame, a shame base. It didn't feel that way, but now like <laughs> the curtain has been removed. <laughs> now that you're peeling those layers yeah. of shame and anxiety out of your life. <laughs> now that I've been through therapy. Um, <laughs> no, but of this idea of like, you better find out what you have to do. And if you don't do it, like, like, like when he said at the end, you can't get it wrong. I wasn't, mm -hmm. that wasn't the message that was given to me. It was like, you could get it wrong and you'll be in trouble <laughs> like if you do. And you have yeah, gotten exactly. it wrong. <laughs> yeah, well actually, yes. Because like as a woman in ministry, like that was yeah. often said, like, no, you're hearing God wrong. You're just like. This cannot be your calling, Bonnie. <laughs> yeah, because it, you know, whatever it was. So that was, that was interesting. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about when your question about calling and desire and so mm -hmm. as a spiritual director, people come to me a lot with that question of discernment. Like they have a new path to take um, or they have that opportunity and they're trying to figure out, and I often get this question, like I feel called to this one, the thing I'm doing, but I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And is that in conflict with each other? And I always say no, because I don't think that it is. <laughs> I actually think that we should pay a little bit more attention to our desires. I think that um, sometimes, and not all the time, I mean, this is when it requires wisdom and discernment and other voices speaking into your life and you know spiritual practices to help kind of quiet things down. But a lot of times I think the spirit uses our desires to sort of tug us into certain, mm. into certain places. So it's like, and, and I think it all depends, at least in my experience, um, on how we view God and if our desires, if he cares about our desires. Like it's, it's such a grim outlook to me to say like, well, I'm sorry you wanted to do that, but you're just not allowed. Like God doesn't honor mm -hmm. the things that you are passionate about or that you feel pulled towards. Now we could, I feel like sometimes we could have passions or desires and they don't go in the way that we thought they would like the how that they happen i feel yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. totally up to god and like to what mm -hmm. bigness or smallness or whatever else and i think that stuff gets worked out yeah. um but it, i couldn't but help thinking in our in our discussion about um the parable of the talents so um it's in all the gospels but like this one that i'm going to read from is in matthew 25 14 through 30 and basically so there's this master and he gives um, <clears throat> three of his servants these big, well, this translation said bags of gold, but like what it would translate for us to would be millions of dollars. So like for the first two, he gives, he gives 10 million and then he gives one five and then 1 million. And the story goes that like the person that got the 10 million takes it, invests it, like does something with it. And then he gets 10 million back. And the person with five takes it, invests it, and he gets five million back. But then the person who got one million, 
buries it, like hides it. And then he obviously, he doesn't get anything back. But he also, he says, like, I didn't risk losing it because I didn't do anything with it. I didn't, I kept it safe. And so the master comes back. And like when I was taught that in terms of vocation and calling, and you can tell me, I don't know how you heard this, Tim, growing up, but like I was always taught like God's given you these gifts or God's given you these things. And if you don't invest it, whether or not you want to is not even like on the table. But like if you don't invest it or you don't do something with it, God's going to get mad at you. Because in the story, the master comes back and he says, good job, faithful servant to the first two. And then he's angry at the third servant. Hmm. So there was always this pressure of like, if you don't find your calling and you don't do exactly what you're supposed to do with it, God's going to be upset with you. But like upon closer reading, like this is one of the ones I translated because it bo bothered me so much is that I realized like it says in here, let's get like if you're following along in scripture, so it's Matthew 25, 14. Um, and it says here he says verse 24 it says the man who had received one bag of gold came and said master i knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed so i was afraid and i went out and hid your gold in the ground see here's what belongs to you and then his master replied you wicked and lazy servant so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Like in our English translations, we don't pick up on it, but that's like a rhetorical question. He's he's in the Greek. He's going back and he's referring back to that statement and he's saying like, oh, that's what you think of me? Like that's why you did this? And so he gets mad. He says, well then, so like because that's what you think of me, you should have put uh, my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And so... I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh, he's not mad. The master isn't mad that the servant didn't do anything. The master's actually mad that he didn't do something because he had a wrong belief about who the master mm. was. He's like, I was afraid of you. And so I didn't do X, Y, and Z. Right. And the master's upset of like, you view me this way which caused you to do X, Y, and Z. So when we're talking about like, it just stirred something in me when we're talking about desire and vocation, because if we believe that like our desires are bad, right? Like all of them are bad right. and we shouldn't, and I, this is not what Sky was saying. This is what I grew up in. Um, yeah. If all our desires are bad and we um, can never go towards our desire, right? Like if we believe that mm -hmm. to be true, so then we don't ever follow it. And we don't ever question it and we don't ever poke at it and get curious about it. That will lead us to doing these other things. And sure, we could still honor God in those other things. But I think this parable shows us that God's more concerned about what we believe about him. Like, is he a God of abundance or scarcity? Is he a God that's like, hey, I want you to believe something that about me that's good and true. And so that compels you forward into yeah. searching out these things you care about or are you afraid of me and so you don't you know you don't look in these corners and you don't try these things and and so it's just I don't know it's just so different because I think we have a way of approaching these topics um, without that higher calling in mind and saying what do I believe to be true about God because whatever it is I believe to be true about God that's for sure gonna push me in one way or another when it comes to passion, desire, fulfilling, calling, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that helps, I think, that his uh, tiered mm-hmm. uh, um, system of calling from yeah. the community with God to the kind of universal callings that we all share mm-hmm. down to this level and having that priority list. Because for me, it's like, yeah, I, I wanted to be a rock star. Absolutely. Right. Whatever. Right. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, like, you know, at this point, like, I'm still... The, I, I haven't pushed the desire. The desire was was just maybe misplaced mm. when I was younger. But now it's like I there's not a day that goes by that my guitar is not in my hand. I'm not. Right. And I you know I played a, a show last week. I'll, I'm playing one next week or in two weeks. And like it, it's still is like it's probably is still and me is maybe even more an important piece of my life. It's in there. Yeah. It's not going right. anywhere. Right. I'll be writing songs and playing music until I'm 85 and can't curl my fingers anymore to yeah. press court. Like it's just something that I will always do. And I found even in the last year, like going through some like severe anxiety issues and whatnot and, and doing traditional therapy, but, uh, music is still the, like one of the best pieces of therapy I've ever had. Like, mm, yeah, I look back at the songs that I recorded over the last year year and a half and it's like oh wow <laughs> like yeah there's a journey process in there of, that i'm pouring out on the page and then i'm going back through and it's like this is there's a weird amount of like processing and therapy and stuff so i think that what you're saying is like totally right on and mm-hmm. um that idea of you know a lot of those things are there's and there are people that you know i was i'm trying to think of an artist that everybody in our audience would know um, and i'm only using artists because that's my frame of reference What's the girl? What's the girl that had the big crossover um, hits? Uh, she's a Christian artist, and she had big, but she's kind of Taylor boomed Swift. in the no, <laughs> and she's kind of boomed in the uh, like on on secular radio. I hate the word secular, but yeah, I um, don't know. What's she? What can you? What's one uh, of her what songs? Is her name? I don't know her songs. Um, she's got some pipes. Uh, uh, Lauren, Di- Lauren Daigle. Is that? Oh, yes, or? yes, 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 yes. I know who you're talking about. Is that how about. you say her name? I think so. But yes, I know who you're talking about. She, I think she's like, I mean, she obviously has a, a, a gifting. Right. That, like she's got a voice and, a, and an ability to, to create melody that not everybody has. Right. 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 And so she has a very specific gift that is very, seems very, not very many people have. And then she obviously has this desire to kind of, put energy and time and you know right, stuff yeah. into that and mm-hmm. it would be it would be a shame if she hadn't done that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. does that make sense like yes. it, it's it's a shame that those gifts are there and they hadn't been if they hadn't been used and they hadn't because you know she has very inside I haven't listened to it, but I, from what I've read, like very like, inspirational. The, Her songs have made a big difference for people. Yes yes and even though like you said the crossover like that took a certain mental state and belief about God for her to feel confident enough to do that, right? Because like some yeah, people would go- Yeah, I think she's done a lot of backlash for it too. For sure. Because some people would go like, yeah, I have these, but I can, like Sky was saying, but I can, as long as I'm doing it to be a missionary, I'm fine, right? So like I can only play yeah. this. It has to only be in lighthouse doors or whatever Whatever that is. <laughs> I don't think those are there anymore. <laughs> I don't think it's a freaking martyr. But like, so she believed there was a thought she believed about God to say, no, like that, like, no, it's all spiritual. 
or you know like yeah. something happened there so i just want i'm just curious about our mindset in the whole thing um yeah. and how much we do or don't do things um be based on what we actually are believing about god and so like yeah. he was saying if that's intact i really do think that changes the way we approach things and it changes the decisions we make and the desires we lay down because we want to like there's freedom there we have the choice to do that yeah. or the ones we say no that that seems um that seems important to me right now and to pick it up you know yeah and the just just the discernment I, we just didn't have time to get into this stuff and the, this is another thing that we don't have time to talk about now but perfect uh <laughs> as far as calling and the role of discernment and wisdom i think beforehand you and i had talked about maybe um like everyone's been to a church where there's a pastor up there who definitely does not have the skill set to be in the position or role that they're in. Right. But they, they thought that they, and I'm not saying that they weren't, but they felt a calling to be in that position that may or may not have been the right calling. And there's a role of discernment and wisdom within the church body and within the people. I don't know. There's just like, there's so much more to like pluck and decipher out of like, this yeah. calling and this discernment. I don't mean right. that to sound really negative and mean, but no, I don't think it does. But I think, I think we it... feel called into ministry sometimes. It's like that might not be exactly the right well place. It's like back to what exactly. I mean, no, it's exactly what you said. Number one, um, if we have a skewed view on it, if we think like it only matters if it's church work, then that limits right. our roles. And then two, we've just done a poor job, I think, in the church of elevating every only the pa the head pastor right like it's yes. just this really protected prized he's holier he's the smartest he's this he's that um and if some of that were dismantled a bit i think that we would have different you know it's it's interesting when i when we did house church um it's so funny how <laughs> um like nobody's called all of a sudden when it's like volunteer and rotating Right. It's like if you're like on a paid staff up on stage, like a lot of people are called to that. Right. But then yeah. like if it's you in front of a living room one week out of the month and it's volunteer and there's 10 people sitting in a chair just kind of looking at you. Suddenly there's not so many people that are called to it. It's just funny because it's like mm -hmm. we feel called to, I think, a lot of times to fame and fortune and whatever else and it's oh, a yes, shame yes. you know we all do um but it's a shame that that has gotten so intertwined with ministry yeah oh man and that opens up like nine other doors yeah so at that <laughs> <laughs> we will leave yeah you it's weird it. like yeah how sky kind of brought that up with the, um feeling like you can only be called to use your gifts within the church or whatever right and then that there's only a few there's only a, a select few jobs in the church right at least the way we had the modern church set up. And so it's like, well, I need to either be a pastor, uh, and but there are only a few of those roles. So right, maybe a worship leader, but I, I don't know how to play the guitar or sing. All right, so I guess I'm moving overseas. Like, Yeah, well, <laughs> and if you're a woman, you're really screwed because like anybody yeah, that right. knows me would know, don't put her in charge of the kid ministry. Like her patience isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's not going to be the wisdom and discernment right there. <laughs> but when Bonnie walks in the church. She's like, Hey guys, I want to run the, they're like, you know, Bonnie, <laughs> I love you. I love but, your spirit of wanting to be involved. <laughs> but then like, there isn't a spot for me, right? Like right, there isn't. Exactly. And so in some ways 
that's been tough to navigate. In other ways, it's made me dismantle my theology of vocation and calling. Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, I have two choices here. I can either go, well, then I just can't do anything. I can't do using these gifts. Or like, no, I think there's other ways. I think that uh, this message yeah. of we can only do it in church is messed up. <laughs> so I'm going to find yeah. something out, you know? So it's interesting. Yeah. But All right. So Sky, I think we mentioned he's uh, Sky Jatani, Holy Post podcast, um, the movie proposal, which we just learned about today. And, uh, and Bonnie, what you want to direct people to the, you do the spiritual direction for. Oh, with radical, radical wellness. wellness right? So yeah, Elise, who's on our podcast, um, a few weeks ago, I'm part of her radical wellness team. So if you go to radicalwellness.co, you'll find info there if you want. Yeah. And what, what's the Tim shell update? Oh, we uh, at? we have it in hand. It's actually, and by hand, I mean in a million boxes in our guest room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> it will be sent out to backers. And then we're trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, we might sell it on Amazon. We might go book publishing route. I don't know. So I'll keep you posted. It's exciting. I know. That's exciting. It's very exciting. And I will tell you, this is classic. I brought one copy out of the box and was like, oh my gosh, and left it on the couch. And then I looked over. And Scout got new cowboy boots for her birthday. No. And she was just jumping all over. <laughs> and it was like, I just started dying laughing because it was like, yeah, this is it's so perfect. perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yep. so good. All right. Well, um, thank you, everybody. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.